We're going through the Bible. We've uh, set three years to go through the Bible over the course of three years, and this is uh, um, the last part of the third year. We are making our way through the New Testament, and we've been uh, um, taking note um, of how relevant the Scriptures are to our lives, just as we just go through Scripture and, and not with... Uh, not trying to uh, fit Scripture into what's happening in the world around us, but rather just studying the Word of God together and, and, and uh, seeing God work through His Word, um, work in our lives. And, and uh, it's just so faith-affirming to see that. Um, last week we talked about the fact that it's the Word of God on mission, that God is on mission in the world. And... Uh, it's his word, his promises, uh, what he has declared, uh, what he says he will do and uh, is doing. And it's very affirming to us in our faith. Uh, today we are in Acts chapter 13 and 14, like Justin mentioned uh, for us. And the section there begins and ends with the church at Antioch. And that's uh, Antioch in Syria. We were first introduced to the church at Antioch in uh, Acts chapter uh, 11, uh, back on March 14th. I had the uh, privilege of being able to share that that morning on uh, some thoughts about that uh, chapter, Acts 11, and the church in, in Antioch. And so I want to start this morning with a little bit of geography, because everybody loves geography, right? Yeah, give it up for for maps and charts. Um, now, they told me that, 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 uh, that it's, this is not easy to see if you're watching online, that, that the laser pointer I'm using is, 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 is difficult to see. But we'll, uh, we're going to give it our best shot here. So here we are. There's, uh, you always look over here for the, to the, uh, the land of Israel, and you can see the, uh, the Dead Sea. That's a good landmark of the Dead Sea. And then you go up, Jerusalem is right there, Caesarea, uh, so this is where the, the life and ministry of Jesus took place, right in this area. And then uh, what we're talking about, that Jesus, Jesus said that um, the gospel would go out, that the witnesses for, of his death and resurrection would uh, be uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and um, to the ends of the earth. And uh, so today, as we think about about Antioch and Syria, we're right here. Okay, so that's Antioch and Syria. We're going to also going to be talking Antioch about Antioch and Pisidia, which is up here today. But uh, right now, this is where we're at, right here. So we'll revisit the map in a moment. But we're going to be talking about Paul's first missionary journey. And what color is that? Is it purple? Okay, so the purple lines show us the, the uh, outline of Paul's first missionary journey. That is the content of Acts chapter 13 and 14. That's our, our text uh, for today. Um, back on March 14th, I, I made this statement. I said, I love this Antioch church. It represents something we haven't seen yet in the book of Acts. It represents something we don't see often enough in our world today. It's something that doesn't happen naturally or easily. This church here and Antioch uh, in Syria is positioned in the book of Acts as a model. 
We often go to Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 4 for, in Jerusalem for that uh, model church. But this church, this church in Antioch, will become the sending church of the New Testament age. And so here we are now, Acts chapter 13 and 14, Paul's first missionary journey. Um, and we put a lot of emphasis on Paul's journeying and his missionary journeys, and rightly so, because Scripture does. Uh, but we shouldn't overlook the role of the church, uh, the local church at Antioch, when it comes to the mission and the missionary uh, movement of the New Testament. Um, so um, you may recall, perhaps, hopefully, when we talked about the church, church at Antioch a few weeks back, five weeks to be exact, five weeks ago we taught, looked at Acts chapter 11, uh, you may recall that that chapter ends, that's Acts chapter 11 ends, with the church at Antioch sending aid to the brothers at Jerusalem um, by way of Paul and Barnabas. So Acts chapter 11, verses 29 and 30 reads, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And then last week, we looked at Acts chapter 12, which was the arrest and then the rescue of Peter from Herod and the demise of Herod, and we considered that uh, a significant statement in Acts chapter 12 where it says the word of God increased and multiplied. And that's towards the end of, of Acts chapter 12. But then the, the last verse in Acts chapter 12 says, uh, that's verse 25, says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service. That's the service of taking the aid to Jerusalem. Uh, and they brought with them John, whose other name was Mark. So here they are back from Jerusalem, back in Antioch again. And that's where our text picks up today in uh, Syrian Antioch. Uh, where Paul and Barnabas are back in that church that will become the great sending church of the uh, New Testament church age. So Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to read now. Uh, Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch. Now, I just want to stop there for a second. When it says there that there were in the church. Do you think that, that Luke means that they're, they're in the church building? Why, why don't you think so? <laughs> Maybe because they didn't have a building, right? That would be one reason. Uh, it was the people, right? In the community, or, or the family, or you, if you will, or the, the household of God at Antioch. Uh, so, so to put that in modern context then, when we speak about the church uh, and what is in the church, uh, there would be, uh, in, in this day, there were teachers, prophets and teachers. Uh, today, that would be you and you. Uh, and, and I, we are the church, and we have the privilege of living in the church. And uh, so I 
I think that we have to point that out every chance we get because people will get confused about that. We're talking about the people. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, who, by the way, is traditionally identified with uh, uh, Simon uh, of Cyrene, uh, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, that's only three verses, but there's so much in there that we could unpack if we had the time. It talks about fasting and prayer, and the, we could talk about the significance of that. It talks about the laying on of hands. It talks about the Holy Spirit speaking to them. How did that happen? Was it through the prophets, or was it more of that inner voice that all believers hear when we're really listening um, for the Lord to direct us? Um, and then there's this whole mission thing, the sending thing. And uh, it says in chapter 13, verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. We'll look at that in a moment. Uh, where was Barnabas from? Right, Cyprus. Just not a coincidence. Anyways, um, the, the Holy Spirit sent them out, it says. Uh, God is on mission. Uh, we talked about that last week. It is God that's on mission. We get to join him in uh, that mission. And that is the significance, of course, of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, in the New Testament church. Uh, you may recall Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke, who wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts, says, I, began, I, I wrote to you, O Theophilus, first off, of all that Jesus began to do until the time he was taken up. And so Acts is a continuation of the works of Jesus. So the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church is God on mission in, in the world. The next verse tells us that they took young John Mark, uh, John, who's also called Mark, with them as a sort of apprentice worker. And um, there's more on his story as the chapter unfolds and as the chapters unfold in the book of Acts and then throughout the New Testament. But we won't, uh, we won't get into that today. Acts chapter uh, 13, verses 6 through 12 uh, tells the story of the run-in that they had with a Jewish sorcerer named Bar-Jesus, who was also known as Elymas. And there was a showdown between him and, the, and Paul, and the, the proconsul Sergius Paulus ends up coming to faith in Christ as a result of that uh, whole uh, situation. And, uh, and then the rest of the chapter, chapter 13, records their mission work in uh, Pisidian Antioch. So I'm going to get Aiden to bring the map up once again. Pisidian Antioch, just so you'll recall, is right there. See Pisidia there? Pisidian Antioch's right there. So here's, here's the travel route then, okay? So there they are at Antioch in Syria, and they go to Cyprus, Salamis, or Salamis, whatever they call it, Paphos, and then up to Perga. Uh, and then city in Antioch right there. Now, a lot of uh, the story, uh, all of chapter 13 takes place in, uh, in Antioch. And uh, we're not going to read all that text this morning. Uh, hopefully, you have read ahead. That really is helpful. 
Uh, oh, time for another commercial. The newsletter goes out every week by email. You can get it in your inbox. In the newsletter is the scripture that we're going to be studying together nine days ahead of time. Gives you lots of time. I figure that if they show the same commercials over and over again on television, it must be effective, right? So if I say this over and over again, sooner or later, somebody that hasn't got the e-letter is going to say, I need to get that e-letter. And you'll get in touch with us at the office here, sharethejourney.ca, and uh, ask to be put on the, uh, the e-letter list. And it's very, very helpful because uh, we're studying the scriptures together as a church, family. Acts chapter 13 begins in the church at Antioch, where there was all kinds of stuff going on there. Do you suppose they were studying the scriptures together? Uh-huh, right? Because that's what churches do, right? Part of the fellowship we have is we're on mission together, studying scripture together. And uh, chapter 14 ends in the church at Antioch. Chapters 13 and 14 begin and end in the church at Antioch. So Acts chapter 13, the rest of Acts chapter 13 is Paul's um, uh, and Barnabas's ministry in Antioch of Pisidia. And it, we can note, if, if you've read through there or if you do read through there, it's, uh, it is to Paul's ministry and proclamation what Acts chapter 2 is to Peter's. In Acts chapter 2, you remember Peter preached that great sermon on the day of Pentecost. Uh, it's outlined in Acts chapter 2. Here in Acts chapter 13, we have Paul, a sample, if you will, of Paul's preaching, and it takes place in the Jewish synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia, and the similarities are quite striking. Um, he uses the Jewish story, the Hebrew story, and the Hebrew scriptures to show that Jesus is uh, the Messiah and the resurrected Lord. And uh, he begins with them, he talks about Abraham. Uh, keep, keep in mind here, he's in the synagogue the Jewish synagogue in Antioch. He talks to them about Abraham. He begins there. He goes on from Abraham to David. Uh, and then interestingly enough, he goes from there to talk about John the Baptist. Uh, because of, apparently John the Baptist was revered as a true prophet of God uh, well beyond the borders of Israel. Because it was obvious that the hearers that day, they not only knew about John, but they obviously revered John as a true prophet of God. So we'll pick up in verse 25. So that's Acts chapter 13, verse 25. And so Paul is preaching here and he says, and as John, that's John the Baptist, was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandal whose Sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Suppose Paul may have even heard John. I don't know. It's possible. But that's an interesting quote from John, right? 
uh, brothers, he says in verse 26, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, because there were also Greek God-fearing men and women there as well, which proves very significant over time in Paul's ministry. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, uh, fulfilled them by condemning him. Who? Who's he talking about? Jesus. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So that's the gospel, right? The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus constitute the message of the gospel, the good news. Uh, and so Paul uses then the, uh, the uh, Old Testament, he goes to the, to the actual Old Testament passages to show that Jesus is the Messiah, the crucified and risen Lord. Take a look, Acts chapter 13, verses 32 through 41. And he says there, and we, uh, because Paul too had saw the risen Christ, right? We bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled in us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That's a quote from Isaiah 55. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. That's from Psalm 16. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything uh, which uh, you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And then he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, note the reference to free the, freedom there, because April mentioned that early on when we were singing praise the Lord together, that, that, that Paul's promise, he said the promise of the gospel is that, uh, the, that we be uh, forgiven of our sins, that's verse 38, and uh, uh, freed from everything that, from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So it's not something we can earn by by, uh, or, or merit by our, our works or by being good or anything like that. It's through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And then the quote from Habakkuk chapter 1, Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish, for I am uh, doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. So this is Paul saying, you know, what these scriptures promised is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. And this approach that Paul takes here proves to be very effective. 
uh, just as the similar approach that Peter took in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost proved to be very effective where he preached and then he, he used the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, uh, to uh, show that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the crucified and risen Lord. Um, so very effective because people responded. However, the uh, scenario that develops is a little different. Take a look, Acts chapter 13, 42 through 48. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Keep in mind that this is new stuff. They haven't, they haven't heard this before. They understood the Old Testament. I mean, well, they had the Old Testament. They read the Old Testament. They studied the Old Testament. They, but they, they, this is the first time that they're hearing about Jesus Christ uh, as the fulfillment of these scriptures. So they, they're, 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 they're really paying uh, really close attention. And after the meeting, it says in verse 43, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Curtis, you mentioned to me last week, you've been noticing how many times that phrase comes up in the book of Acts, the word of the Lord. It appears in this chapter uh, more than once as well, in the, these chapters. Uh, they, the whole city, nearly, uh, speaking hyperbole, perhaps, but, but people were coming out en masse to, uh, to hear this message. But, verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas' response... They spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God, there it is again, be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, and then he quotes Isaiah 49, I made you, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the, uh, the word of the Lord. There it is again, Curtis. As, as many, uh, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So uh, again, this is a reminder that God is on mission and that he is a sovereign Lord who predestines us. And it's also another indication of the international scope of the gospel mission and on the calling of God upon Paul's life as an apostle to the Gentiles. So a lot of the Jews, they were getting jealous and they were getting upset. Meanwhile, the Gentiles, they are excited for this news because they have been included in this gospel, the gospel of Jesus, and it's for them uh, as well. And then you have this statement in Acts chapter 13, verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And so there uh, it is again. So this is good, right? But, and the next word in Acts chapter 13, verse 50, is the word but. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, 
and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Uh, Jesus, in Luke 10, when he sent it to 72, told them if they were not received, to shake the dust off their feet. So that's uh, an interesting cross-reference for you there. It says in verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they end up having to flee Antioch, and they go to Iconium. And uh, virtually the same uh, scenario plays out there as well in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. So they flee Iconium then, and they go to Lystra and Derbe. And at Lystra, there's this uh, man there who was lame from birth. And God heals him through the Apostle Paul. And of course, as you can imagine, a crowd gathers. But when the crowd gathers, they start crying out, uh, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now remember, this is in Lystra, which would be predominantly a, a, a Greco-Roman uh, environment, a very pagan environment. And... Uh, Luke describes, it goes on there to describe how uh, the crowds were thinking that um, uh, Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes uh, come down to earth in the form of men, which incidentally provides a very fascinating glimpse into the personalities and the functions of these two men uh, with uh, and their relationship to each other with um, Paul being clearly the spokesman, but Barnabas being perceived as perhaps the greater of the two. I, I find that quite uh, fascinating. But of course, Luke goes on to, to describe how uh, appalled uh, these two missionaries were once they got a sense for what was really happening here. And when uh, the people showed up with oxen, and the priest of Zeus comes with oxen to sacrifice the oxen as a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, they, they uh, uh, begin to tear their clothes. Paul and Barnabas begin to tear at their clothes, and they tear it into the crowd, and, they, and try to stop them, and they, and they shout out, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? We are mere men, just like you all are. And then Paul, uh, uh, he shares some about, um, about uh, the God who, who, who made us all. And it's the message that he, the short uh, capsule we have there of that little message is very similar to what Paul shares in, uh, later in Athens, when he's in Athens in a very pagan environment where they didn't have the Hebrew scriptures uh, or weren't familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, so it's all... Quite interesting. Anyways, he manages to deter them. Uh, it says it's all he could do to deter them from sacrificing to them uh, in verse 19. Uh, but then it records that how um, uh, the uh, people from Antioch and Iconium, where they had been, show up and they persuade these fickle citizens of Lystra, or Lystra 
uh, to turn against Paul, Paul and Barnabas, and they end up stoning Paul with rocks, and they drag his body outside of the city and leave him there for dead. We're going to pick up in verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and then on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So they're going back through um, all the places where they had, had just been, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, A few things to note here. One thing to note is that these two chapters, uh, these events of these two chapters, uh, and the churches founded here by Paul and Barnabas, uh, are the churches uh, in the province of Galatia. So in about uh, uh, roughly a month's time from now, Uh, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. And that letter by Paul, written by Paul to the the Galatians, would have been circulated amongst these churches. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Another thing to take note of, though, which I think is really obvious here, is the immense courage and fortitude of these men. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be heading in the same back, back into town. You know, I'd be wanting to get out of there, right? But back they go, uh, and it gives immense weight and credibility uh, to the words of instruction that they give here when they say, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Again, there's so much in these few statements here that we could unpack. There's the ministry uh, of encouragement that it talks about here that's so important, encouraging and establishing uh, new believers in the, um, well, it says in the faith. And that's another thing to note here is that the way that's stated, it's not just faith, but the faith. And when the, you see that phrase used in the New Testament, it's talking uh, about the body of teaching uh, surrounding the gospel that the uh, apostles um, gave his instruction to in the early church. So sometimes, you, if you read through, as we read through the, the New Testament, I know in a couple weeks' time we're going to be in 2 Timothy, and you'll read the word there, the deposit. He taught, he, Paul talks to Timothy about the deposit. Other times he'll refer to the teaching. Sometimes he refers to the truth. Sometimes he refers to the tradition. Um, but in, in other words, it's the central teaching of the, of the apostles surrounding the gospel, uh, which is outlined in what would become known to us as the Apostles' Creed, if you're familiar with, with that. Uh, I'll give you uh, uh, one of the most common examples. Jude chapter 1, um, there's only one chapter in the book of Jude, but um, Jude says, uh, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the faith, not just faith, but the faith, meaning the message about Jesus, 
and his coming, his, his identity as the Son of God is coming and sacrifice, offering himself as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins and the rising again from the dead, his ascension to heaven, his coming again as living Lord and the life that we uh, are to live in response to those fundamental truths. All of that is, is as sometimes referred to as the kerygma or the, the expanded message of the gospel that was to be, uh, the new believers were to be established uh, in, in the days of the early church and in our day as well. Then in verse 23 it says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have had believed. So this is yet another reference to prayer and fasting. And it's significant to notice that fasting is almost always mentioned in reference to prayer. So prayer is what fasting really is about um, and is an aid to prayer, uh, our prayers. Uh, we also could pause here and talk about the importance of leadership and in particular of pastoral leadership. That's uh, elders who are called to shepherd. The word pastor means shepherd. Elders are called and appointed to shepherd the people. And notice here that it's a plurality. Each church, elders, plural. So there is a plurality of eldership in each church. Uh, but uh, Josh is going to be speaking with us from 2 Timothy in a couple of weeks' time, and perhaps he'll be touching on some of that then. We won't dig any deeper into it now because I want to uh, just keep pressing forward here. What we have here then is, is Paul's approach to missions. He planted churches by preaching the gospel and by establishing the believers uh, in the, a body of truth or teaching surrounding the gospel. Um, and he put pastoral leadership in place. And then he committed the churches to the Lord because he knew that by the grace of God, the Spirit of God was indwelling the people of God and that with the scriptures, the teaching of the apostles, the, the kerygma, the body of truth, and, and pastoral leadership in place, that he could entrust those churches uh, to the Lord and to his grace. Um, what I want to uh, do, though, in the remainder of our time this morning is uh, take a quick look together at the last several verses of chapter 14. How are we doing for time here? Yeah, we're getting down to the wire. Um, but look at the last several verses. Uh, chapter 14, verses 24 to 28. So this is the end of the chapter. It's also the end of what we commonly refer to as Paul's first missionary journey. Verse 24 says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came uh, to Pamphylia, so they're coming back through. And when they had uh, spoken the word in Perga, there's the, there it is again, Curtis, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So that's Antioch in Syria, from where they had been commended to the, the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to 
the Gentiles. So just quickly, uh, it says in verse 28, and they remain no little time with the disciples. Verse 28, if you could, uh, uh, Aiden, if you could bring that uh, map up one more time. So one more time. So here they are. Uh, there's Derby. That was as far as they went. So, so they went like this, right? And it's sort of in a, in a C formation. And then they traveled back. Back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back through Pisidia, Pisidia Antioch, down to the coast, to Perga, Italia, uh, uh, and then down to Paphos, or, or, or no, sorry, down from Italia, back to Antioch in Syria, back where we started chapter 13, verse 1, back where they started their journey, back where Paul's uh, first missionary journey uh, began. But take a, take a note, take a look with me as we try to, you know, there's so much that we could be talking about in these, these passages, and obviously we can't talk about it all. But look at verse 26. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. Uh, notice there that it says they fulfilled the work. As I was reading through these passages over the last number of weeks, you know, I was thinking about how life is and how we never stop going. We never stop learning. We never stop growing. And most of the tasks that we engage in today uh, have a way of popping back up again to meet us tomorrow. Uh, it's like the book of Ecclesiastes, which begins by saying the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, the wind blows to the south and goes to the north. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow there again. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And sometimes, it, 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 I don't know about you, but sometimes it starts to feel to me like a a giant game of that whack-a-mole game that you play where you just, you know, didn't we just do this yesterday? Yeah, here we are doing it again. I think sometimes laundry feels that way. I'm pretty sure house cleaning feels that way. You may have a job that feels that way. It's like, you, here you are doing, we're doing it again. And sometimes, you know, life can start to feel, it can start to feel like it's hard to get a sense of accomplishment. Like, when do you get to actually finish anything? Now, you know, we're talking here about the Great Commission. We're talking here about the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're talking here about the, the greatest missionary that ever lived, the Apostle Paul. He hasn't, someday he wants to go to Rome. He hasn't even come close yet. But here we are at the end of his first missionary journey. And it says there that they had fulfilled the work that they had been given to do. I, I think that, you know, back when I think about um, how hard it is um, for us to get a sense of accomplishment sometimes, and as Christians, I think that we struggle with that, getting a sense of accomplishment. It's like, you know, it's like, will, we, will, will the job ever be done? 
Well, we say, well, not until everybody has heard. Not until the whole world knows we can't rest. We've got to keep going and going and going and going. But we have to be careful. Um, you know, last week we talked a little bit about Act, from Acts chapter 12 about how true it is that every time someone, anyone, makes a decision and acts upon the truth of the gospel, it is a fulfillment of the mission and it is a fulfillment of the word of God, bringing glory to God. God's not done with Paul at all. He has a lot of wish, mission work ahead, a lot of travel ahead. Um, but I think it is significant that it says here that they have fulfilled the work. Acts chapter 14, verse 26, once again, says they had sailed to Antioch. There they had been commended to the grace of God, uh, where they had been commended to the grace of God, for the work that they fulfilled. In God's time, in God's time, Paul will accomplish a great deal more. Someday he will make it to Rome. And uh, in one sense, we can't rest till the, till the whole world knows, but there is this statement here in this passage. Look at verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared that all, declared all that God had done with them. All that God had done with them. Now, some uh, translations had, has a phrase, all that God uh, did, had done through them. But done with them is the literal translation. All that God had done with them. And I remind you once again, uh, referencing back to last week, that we are on mission with God, not just for him. And there is a difference. There's a big difference. Because so often we, we allow ourselves to be uh, overwhelmed. We think of all that we could do or all that we should do. And we brood over it and we worry over it. I know I do. I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure I'm not the only one that wakes up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep because of all the stuff that's going on that you think you should be doing or didn't do quite the way you should have done it or something else. But God doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. It is not God's will that we, uh, that we be overwhelmed. We need a, a, a sense of God's will in our lives and a sense of God's will comes with a sense of God's timing. And if we acknowledge him as the Lord of the mission, and he is the Lord of the mission, Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest field. And if we, if we acknowledge him as Lord of the mission, then we also need to acknowledge him as the Lord of our time. You're only one person. I'm only one person. You know, when Paul was hanging out here, and, say, and take a look at verse 28, the very last verse. The very last verse of Acts chapter 14, what's it say? And they remained no little time with the disciples. Which just is a, a, a kind of a literary way of saying they remained a long time with the disciples. And we'd want to say, Paul, you got to get with the guy. you got a whole world to reach there. You got, you, got, you got places to go. You got work to be done. How long he stayed here, we're not told. 
But, I, but you may recall back five weeks ago when we were in Acts chapter 11, when uh, Barnabas came down to Antioch and saw what was going on, and he went down to get Saul and bring him back to Antioch. Uh, I mentioned there that day to you that if you follow the calendar of Paul's life, he was probably in Tarsus where Barnabas went to get him for the best part of a decade prior to this. What was he doing there? We're not exactly sure. But we, but we are, I think we are wise to try to gain a sense of God's timing in all of this because he is the Lord of, of the harvest and we are under his timetable. And I think that I, I don't know how to best say it and I don't have any time to, to, to ramble on and on about it, but I think that uh, of getting a sense of accomplishment as Christians, you know, how, how do you gain and maintain a sense of accomplishment? sense of accomplishment in your life. You know, the sense that allows you to lay your head down your pillow at night and go, it is well. You know, I, I, I haven't done everything. I haven't been able to do everything. We haven't been able to do everything. But God knows, and it's God's timing. And um, and you know what? There were already Christians in Rome. When we're reading this here, there were already Christians in Rome sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as great as the Apostle Paul was, he was just one man. But the Lord and his word is spreading rapidly because it's God on mission. I want to end with a story, and it's, uh, it's uh, one that's been told. It's a, it's a well-worn story, and I'll just tell it to you really, really quick. And I apologize to those of you who've heard this story before because it's a well-worn story. Um, but it's a story that comes to us uh, originally out of the early 1900s. It was written, I can't remember the, the author who wrote about it first. But it's the story of a man walking on a beach. And the beach was completely littered with thousands and thousands of starfish that had been washed up on the beach. And they were still alive, but they were in the process of perishing because they were out of the water in, this, in the heat of the day. And then he looked and he saw a man walking on the beach, picking up starfish and throwing them back into the ocean. So he walked up to the man. He said, what are you, what, what are you doing? He said, there's got to be thousands and thousands of starfish on this beach. How could you possibly think that what you can do could make any difference. And some of you know that the story ends with the man glancing down at the starfish in his hand, and as he tosses it into the waves, he says, it made a difference for that one. When we live our lives under the lordship of Jesus, we need to gain not only a sense that we are in his will, but a sense that we are in his time, and that he is the Lord of the harvest, and that he is accomplishing his mission, and that we just need to cooperate with him. And he has this, that we can only do what we can do in the time that God gives us to do it. And when we lay our heads on the pillow at night, we need to entrust the work to him. What you do does matter. What you and I do does make a difference. 
one life at a time. But the big picture is the Lord who oversees it all, whom we serve. Uh, Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for these great chapters of your word and for the message of many truths that come to us out of these passages. But help us, Lord, to see our lives in the context of your greater work, the work that you allow us to be a part of. But Lord, we freely confess it's, it's all of you. It's by your word and of your spirit and your work in us, through us, and with us. Help us, Lord, to, to, um, to rest knowing that you are accomplishing your will. Help us to be faithful serving you, Lord, one moment at a time, one day at a time, one life at a time. And Lord, we pray you continue to do the great work you're doing in our lives. We pray, pray you'd use your gospel, the gospel message of Jesus, your death and your resurrection uh, to give hope this day and the days going forward. Hope to a lost and dying world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.